What's up, everyone? This is Clawing Through History, presented by Bruins Diehards. I'm your host, Christian Renzi. And I'm RJ DeMello. On today's episode, we talk about Ray Bork's trade to Colorado and his first and only Stanley Cup win. Great to see you. Hello again, sir. I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, getting cold outside. I know in the one of the yeah, more you recent. Look cold. I am lie. cold. This house is like 60 degrees. It's that weird time of year between like, do we put the heat on? Do we leave it off? You know. But uh, I think it's time. But yeah, doing well. Uh, what are you? What are you drinking? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, this beautiful, beautiful IPA is from Ecliptic Brewing here in Portland, Oregon. And it is uh, from an experimental IPA series called Vega. Wow. And this is IPA number 11, a fruit bowl of New Zealand hops. Have you had them before on this podcast? I don't know. I remember there being an IPA with a number next to it. Might have been. It's a good question. I, you know, too much, too many beers. Don't know. Too many beers. Too many months have gone by. Check the tape. Roll it back. That's true. I'll, I'll put that part in later. Yeah. Um. Well. How about you? What do you got going on? I am drinking a Tilted Barn. Uh, it's called the other one. It is a double IPA. Uh oh. Uh, seven point nine percent. Tilted Barn is a great little. Uh, not little anymore. Great brewery here in Exeter, Rhode Island. It's an actual barn, and uh, they grow the hops on site. They grow Christmas trees in the wintertime. Really great place. I think in a previous episode, you've uh, promised that we would go there, or you know, maybe I'm making that up. So who knows? Let's check the tape. I think I did promise you all of the breweries I've mentioned so far. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do uh, one at a time. But uh, yeah, we definitely should go there. I don't know. Have you? Did you go to the old one when it was little? Like a little barn? I've, I have never been to uh, Tilted, no. Well, you're in for a real treat because the new facility is amazing. Probably the nicest one in all of uh, Rhode Island, if I had to say. Ooh, old claims. Yeah. But I'm drinking it out of a Narragansett Brewery glass, so shout out to them as well. Okay, there you go. You know, I was just, you know, unless, uh, you know, a brewery wanted to come in and sponsor the What Are You Drinking segment, uh, then they would have the best facility in Rhode Island, the world, whatever. So, you know, just until yeah, then, shout, shout out Buttonwoods, Buttonwoods Brewery. You guys want to? Um, but yes. Anybody? Today, <clears throat> what are we talking about? Today we're talking about Ray Bork and his trade to the Avalanche, which happened in 2001. We're coming up on the 20th. Actually, no, I'm sorry. That's wrong. We're talking about the trade of Ray Bork, which happened in 2000. So it's over 20 years ago at this point. Arjun, do you remember this happening? I sure do. Of course. Absolutely. And I remember the uh, the trade and everything that happened after and everything you're probably going to talk about today, I imagine. This story is mostly going to take place in the last year and a half of his career. But let's start from the beginning. You ready to go? Let's do it. 
Let's let's talk about Raymond. All right. But let's start off with the obvious here. The Boston Bruins had two of the best defensemen in the history of the sport, and they pretty much came back to back. The first one, you can probably guess. Eddie Shore. Well, yeah. <laughs> no. Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr. <laughs> yes, the great Bobby Orr, who played uh, until 1976 for the franchise before leaving for Chicago for a couple of years. And the second being Raymond Gene Bork. So we've mentioned him a few times already on this podcast. He was a member of the 88 Cup Blackout team. Famous episode. Great episode, by the way. And he was with them again in 1990 when they once again lost to the Oilers in a slightly less blackout blackout, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, it was only like 20 something minutes. It just delayed overtime. No big deal. Yeah. Not like the first one. And overall, he played for the Boston Bruins for 21 years, which is a very long time. Ray Bork's brewing career could drink. Sure could. Now, the next part um, you covered actually in the last episode, but I kind of want to repeat it because it's a little funny, uh, funny story. So prior to 19, prior to the 1979 draft, the Bruins had traded goaltender Ron Graham to the Los Angeles Kings whose son, John Graham, would later play with Ray Bork. In return, the Bruins received a first-round pick. And you know the rest of this. Harry Sinden wanted to use that pick to draft defenseman Keith Brown. But, unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, for the Bruins, the Blackhawks took Brown one pick ahead, seventh overall. So in a panic, Sinden drafted Ray Bork which might be the greatest panic move of all time. You know, everyone's had a good panic buy at some point, right? Yeah. All that toilet paper that's still in your closet. That's a good panic buy. Exactly. This panic buy ended up changing the franchise. So great move by Harry Sinden, who was GM for 50,000 years. We could probably spend 10 podcasts talking about Ray's overall career. Um, He's, pretty much the ultimate Boston Bruin. And I say this all the time too. I actually tweeted it when they signed McAvoy to that crazy extension. The Bruins are at their best when they have that franchise defenseman back in their team. They're built back to front, just how they've always been successful. So whether it's Shore, or Bork, Chara, hopefully McAvoy, they're always successful when they've got a great defenseman to lead them. So Bork won the Norris Trophy as the league's best defenseman five times. He is, to this day, the Bruins' longest-serving captain. He was a 19-time All-Star and still holds the record for most goals ever scored by a defenseman. I mean, pretty impressive. In his first year in the league, he also won the Calder as the best rookie. So, in other words, Bork was really goddamn good. From start to finish, too. Yeah. Start to finish. That, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, what I wrote, 19-time All-Star. That's Out of, pretty insane. what, 22 seasons or something? Like, Yep. That's pretty good. You know, it's average. It's average. Um, but yeah, the Norris Trophy thing, I mean, that's crazy. Uh, I'm going to talk about it later on, but he actually was nominated for the Norris Trophy his last year in the league when he was playing for the Avs. Um, 
he lost to Lidstrom, who, funny enough, I, I think I, ha- I don't have the exact number in front of me, but Lidstrom won most of his Norris trophies after the age of 30. So great defenseman for the Red Wings forever. Hmm. Crazy good. So from the time he was called up to uh, play for the Bruins until 1987, he wore the number seven. And I think you know what I'm going to talk about next. Oh, I know it, but I wonder if everybody else does. You know, this, you know, the younger generation. Yeah, you probably, everybody's probably seen it, right? Whatever. Yeah, the, the people know it, but I'm going to say it anyway. And maybe one day we'll do a full episode on it. I hope so. Yeah. Or certainly on Esposito because he deserves it. So Bork wore the number seven. Previously had been worn by one of the best goal scorers in hockey history, Phil Esposito. We were just watching this video on him and how when he was traded, I believe Harry Sinden called him into a hotel room and he knew he was going to get traded. And he was like, just tell me it's anywhere but the Rangers. Turns out it was the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> so he was traded to the Rangers. Um, yeah, so Bork, I guess Bork played over 1,500 games as a Bruin, if I, if you, I was hearing you yeah, correctly. Yeah, this says 1,518 games as a Bruin. 395 goals, 1,111 assists. Crazy. Yeah, because I know Chara played around that many for the Bruins, but um, not nearly as many points. I I do think, though, eventually Chara's number will be retired by Boston. That's my... um, Bergeron, Chara, those two guys. Yeah, yeah. Bergeron actually fourth on the all-time points list so there you go and he's played this is if you can believe it his 18th season for the bruins i no there's i cannot i remember him being 18 which is nuts the iconic commercial which we have to get we got to get like the oral history of this commercial we got to get raycroft on we got to get bergeron on we got to get, get bergeron and raycroft how did that commercial happen you know what commercial i'm talking about yeah, I, I think we should post it uh, on our Twitter, but it's uh, a, a rookie Bergeron. I don't know if it's a rookie Raycroft, but he was pretty young as well, and they're driving a Zamboni over the, the new Zakem Bridge. Which was still under construction. That's why it was empty. Yeah, exactly. And in the commercial, too, isn't it like, it's not really Bergeron's mom, but isn't she like a woman plays Bergeron's mom, and she's like waving them off, or Raycroft's mom, maybe. Yeah. Somewhere. It's Raycroft pulls up to Bergeron's house with the Zamboni. Bergeron goes, mom waves him off. He gets on. He can barely speak like English. He still has such a thick French accent. And he says the iconic line. Great plates. I want them too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a good French Canadian accent. (laughs) Can never forget that. Oh, man. But back to Ray Bork in this retirement ceremony with Esposito. My parents were at this game. Um, so the ceremony's happening. Let's recap it. So in December 1987, Bruins legend Phil Esposito is having his number retired at the Old Garden. You're building, RJ. Yeah, I think it's somewhere up here in this photo. Yeah, let's We can see. find it. In the Raptors somewhere. We yeah. got a mini one downstairs, too. Um, Bork had been wearing that number seven since he was drafted. Uh, and I think at the time that general consensus was that he'd probably wear it for his career and they would just kind of share it. Think uh, Mariano Rivera or Jackie Robinson's number. They, I don't know, same mm-hmm. thing. Um, 
However, on that night, right before Phil Esposito's number went into the rafters, Ray skated over to him, took off his jersey, and revealed his number 77, the brand new number. And that meant that no one else in Bruins history would ever wear that number seven again. So it's just a cool moment in the history of the franchise. Really, really cool moment. You can find that like video on YouTube, so I'm sure you could play the audio with that and stuff. But So let's fast forward 13 years. It's the year 2000. This is my favorite part where we talk about the songs and movies. It's the year 2000. The song Breathe by Faith Hill is at the top of the charts. <laughs> give, me a, give me a few seconds of it. No, I, yeah. I, I don't know if I can sing it. Do you know it? <laughs> no. No, I just, you know, play it. Play it. I'm Throw it in there. American Beauty wins Best Picture at the Oscars. And the final new Peanuts comic is published. Charlie Brown. Wow. Meanwhile, the Bruins were hot and cold, so out the gate to start the 99-2000 season, they found themselves with a record of 0-5-4, and four. so it's bad. Then, they briefly managed to right the ship and get themselves over 500, but uh, by February, things were starting to look pretty bleak again. By this time, Ray Bork was 39 years old. He was on the team with names like Thornton, Samsonoff, Don Sweeney, future GM, a guy that you'll remember, PJ Axelson. Love PJ. <laughs> Played there forever, it felt like. And I think he actually works for the team now. I hope so. Yeah, I think he's like a scout or something. Um, Nick Boynton was there. Remember him? Oh, yeah. And of course, in, in goal is the legendary Lord Byron Defoe. Oh, yes. Yep. And that's actually a pretty good roster on paper. But despite all that, they were in no position to compete for the Stanley Cup. By March of 2000, Ray Bork had been a Boston Bruin for over 20 years. His trophy case contained every single piece of hardware an NHL defenseman could ever want, except for one major exception, the Stanley Cup. In his mind, I think he knew he had one or two seasons left in him, and he thought if he had any chance at taking it all home before he retired, he would probably have to do it elsewhere. What are your thoughts on uh, ring chasing? When you have done everything in your sport and you have, to your point, won all those trophies, been to all those all-star games, been to Stanley Cup finals and missed it and been the dejected on the other side of the ice, watching them lift it, whatever, like, yeah, you know you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go looking for it, and I and I don't blame you one bit for it. And I don't think I don't think Bruins fans blamed Raymond one bit either. No, and as we'll see later on, they celebrated him when he got back. But um, yeah, I think it's different. Like if uh, you're 24 years old and you go to a pile on team, which happens a lot in like basketball, people don't really respect that. It annoyed like yeah. when the Golden State Warriors did that people were upset but if you're a guy that gave everything you had to the franchise you're more mad that management isn't putting a better team on the ice for this guy to win the cup than yeah. you are him leaving which hopefully i hope i hope joe thornton who's now around the same age that bork was at the time i hope he can win a stanley cup florida is extremely good right now so there's a chance from february 27th to the 28th of the year 2000 there was the league-wide general managers meeting in Palm Springs, California. 
and I believe Bork called Sindon on the phone, who was Sindon was at this league-wide meeting. So Bork had a couple conditions for this trade. The first one was the obvious one. He wanted to go to a team that was a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. The second was that he wanted to be in a team that was close to where he lived because he had kids now that were teenagers and he didn't want to pull them out of school and change their lives. He got one of those things. <laughs> um, but at first, Sinden and Borg thought he may end up with the New Jersey Devils, mm-hmm. who were, in the year 2000, were about to win the Stanley Cup. Or the Philadelphia Flyers, mm-hmm. which would be very weird to see. Is that like the in. Eric Lindros Philadelphia Flyers days? I believe so. And then, uh, who was it? Uh, John LeClaire. Remember that guy? Mm-hmm. On March 6, 2000, Ray Bork would be traded 2,000 miles away from where he uh, had been playing for 20 years to the Colorado Avalanche, who at that time had only existed for like five years, maybe a little less. And now let's do what I always do. Let's Tarantino this story. (laughs) So I just want to give a little bit of history on the Colorado Avalanche because they are an expansion team. In May of 1995, Comsat Group in Denver, who owned the Denver Nuggets basketball team, announced that they had purchased the Quebec Nordiques, who since they, they, they originally were in the WHL, the World Hockey League, but then they came to the NHL in 1979. And that entire time, they had struggled financially. Mm-hmm. With the purchase, the Nordiques would officially be relocated to Denver and named the Rocky Mountain Extreme. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, so this is kind of funny. They were going to name them the Rocky Mountain Extreme, which is the dumbest name ever. Absolutely, yes. It's almost as dumb. I'm going to get a lot of heat for this. It's almost as dumb as the Minnesota Wild. (laughs) Just any other franchises you want to call out right now or what? Vegas Golden Knights. (laughs) Pelicans, is that still a team? Basketball? The New Orleans Pelicans, yeah. Yeah, it's a dumb name. Utah Jazz. There's no jazz in Utah. All those names are dumb. <laughs> well, that's like their whole issue. Like Los Angeles Lakers, they are called that because they were from Minnesota originally. So you got that whole issue of franchises moving and keeping their name. Yeah, how and about Memphis? A... What? Memphis Memphis Grizzlies. How about that one? There's no Grizzly Bears in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, they like the music. Anyway, so the name was the Rocky Mountain Extreme. Uh, but the Denver Post leaked the new name to the public, and it was met with overwhelmingly negative reviews. Oh, yeah. As it should. I mean, it's a dumb name. So they pulled an audible. They renamed the team the Colorado Avalanche, and they've been in Denver ever since. The Avalanche were immediately a very good team in 1995. They had major names when they arrived in Denver, like Joe Sackick, Peter Forsberg, Adam Foote. With and an E on the end. With an E, yes. Are these names bring back memories? This this was oh, yeah. the team. They, oh, yeah. Uh, NHL 98. Peter Forsberg was on the cover. I loved the Avalanche. And they were about to get another huge name between the pipes. Because on December 2nd, 1995, the Montreal Canadiens, they had their worst loss in franchise history. They lost 11-1. to Home loss, by the way. Home loss in mm-hmm. franchise history. Goaltender Patrick Waugh was left out to dry for nine of those goals. Yeah. 
Convinced that head coach Mario Tremblay had left Watt and Nett to embarrass him, when he was finally pulled from the game, back then, the Canadians' ownership, they had seats behind the bench, like those were reserved for them, douchebags, and they uh, didn't have glass behind the bench. So Watt gets pulled from the game, and on his way down the bench, he whispers to uh, Montreal president Ronald Corey that he had just played his last game for the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> I remember this story, and I think it is a hilarious, hilarious move. And one that I think, you know, people always say to play goalie, you got to have maybe a, a screw loose. and That's for sure. We've seen some videos of Patrick Waugh. Uh, you know, I think he maybe fits that. Where, uh, you know, a hot-headed, quick-to-judgment goalie that's just like, Goodbye. So four days after this incident in Montreal, he was traded to the Avalanche, and suddenly this brand new franchise had one of the best goaltenders in history. They were so good that first year that they managed to win the Stanley Cup, and they beat the Florida Panthers in four games in 1996. Wow. Pretty insane. Kind of like, you know, I mean, Vegas made the Cup their first year, but the Avalanche were stacked. Oh, yeah. Um, so Ray Bork was traded to the Avalanche on March 6, 2000. He was sent from the Bruins along with Dave Anderchuk, who I think we mentioned in another episode. Yep. In exchange for another name you'll remember, Brian Ralston. Remember him? He was a good player for us. He was. I think he had two stints with us, actually. Yeah. Uh, the other player was Martin Grenier, who I don't know. Samuel Paulson, who I also don't know. And a first-round pick who I looked up, and I also don't know that person either. <laughs> <laughs> the trade wasn't... I mean, it's, Ralston was good, but like, no, it wasn't an amazing return. It was... Uh, it should restore a little bit of the, like, we had anger for them not building a good team around him, and it, you know, it's like, I'm okay with us not getting an amazing return on investment. Like... We owed it to the to the guy. Right. And and in reality, if you don't trade Bork, you'll get nothing for him because he's going to retire. Yeah. Regardless. And Sindon, it was cool. Like, There's an interview with Sindon online where he just wanted what was best for Ray Bork, too. Like, I don't know if he was even necessarily thinking about the return as much as he was. Like, where can I send him where he's actually going to win? Like, Sindon wanted him to win just as much as the rest of us did. So the Avs actually made a decent cup run that first year that Ray Bork was there because he played there from that trade deadline and then a whole another season after that. In 2000, they made the Western Conference final before being eliminated by the defending champion Dallas Stars who had won the Stanley Cup in 99. So the 2000-2001 season would prove to be the one that Ray was waiting for. And can I just say as a side note, that these late 90s slash early 2000s Avalanche teams are, they border on ridiculous for the amount of star power they had. I mentioned them before. If you're ever bored, look up the 2004 Avalanche because they had most of the guys from this team plus Paul Correa and Timu Solani. Just insane. How, how, how? Like, I, how do you... Pre-cap era? How do you fit them under the cap? How do you get it? Like, I don't know if there was a hard cap back then. I don't think there was. Because <clears throat> if you look at the 
the 2002 Red Wings, there's like nine Hall of Famers on that team. Mm. <laughs> Maybe the greatest team ever. Hmm. So to top that off, by the way, of the players that I just mentioned, that 2001 team before the playoffs added Hall of Famer Rob Blake to the lineup. That was another guy who was a future Hall of Famer, which the other ones were Bork, Sackick, Forsberg, and Waugh. All went to the Hall of Fame. Ray Bork was as good as ever in his last year, scored 59 points, and he finished runner-up to Nicholas Lidstrom for the Norris Trophy, like I said before. So with expectations at an all-time high, Ray Bork entered the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2001, hoping to have one last try at winning that elusive cup. The first round was a pretty decisive victory for the Avs. They swept the Canucks in four games. In the second round, they would face the Los Angeles Kings, which is Rob Blake's old team. They took a 3-1 series lead, which they almost blew it, but uh, they went to Game 7, and they were able to win Game 7, 5-1, and advance to the Western Conference Final. But unfortunately, that series with the, uh, with the Kings, the semifinals, would come at a cost because uh, Peter Forsberg suffered a ruptured spleen, which has to be painful, I would imagine. I did not remember that. No, and he missed the remainder of the playoffs, so he didn't even play in the Stanley Cup Final in 2001. Wow. Forsberg is, was a huge factor for that team, and a lot of people thought that that injury um, was one that they couldn't overcome. Mm-hmm. But in the Western Conference Final, the Avs proved that they could overcome the injury, and they defeated the St. Louis Blues in five games. And for the first time since 1990, Ray Bork found himself back in the Stanley Cup Final. Wow. And in arenas that wouldn't uh, black out or anything because they didn't have AC. Exactly. Um, I think this was actually the first year of the Pepsi Center in Denver. So it was a brand new, brand new arena. When the Avalanche first came into the league, they played where the Nuggets played. Denver Nuggets. But um, yeah, the Pepsi Center in its first year. So in that cup final, they would face off against, do you remember who? Uh, the New Jersey Devils. Correct. The Devils. Those Devils team, man. They were famous for that that trap defense. That, that's right. They played a certain style. Perhaps the most boring style of hockey you'll ever witness. Do you remember when uh, there was that coach for the Ottawa Senators? They, they call it the 1-3-1. That's the trap. Yep. And he did it for every team he coached and it was terrible. And there's this video online of the one, three, one defense only works. If you have a lead, if it's tied, it doesn't really work because you're not really for checking. So there's a video online. Look it up. It's the flyers trolling the one, three, one defense. So the flyers literally just stand there and let, I think it's the lightning at the time. They just let the lightning make the one, three, one and the flyers just don't move. They have the puck and they just stand there with the puck and the crowd starts booing. And they did it multiple times throughout the game. So the rest kept blowing the whistle. And I guess there's a rule where the puck has to stay in motion, which no one had ever realized because no one's ever really? held it. Yeah. <laughs> but that defense is not aggressive. You're just standing in the one through one formation and not doing anything. So the other team could just stand there. <laughs> but yeah, the Devils perfected this. They won multiple championships off, uh, off, off the trap defense. Yeah, it's like uh, the... The uh, park the bus strategy, you know, in like soccer. It's just... Uh, You'll have to enlighten me. I don't, I don't know that strategy. 
you know, it's just like the all-out defense, like everybody behind the ball, you know, uh, scenario when, yeah, you need to, if, if you're ahead or even if, you you know, a tie will help you and you you uh, park the bus and, yeah, to your point, it, it only works when you're in that scenario. And so if you're a goal down, what do you, like, what do, you do with that? Right. And as a viewer, it just sucks to watch. Mm-hmm. What's cool about this matchup, though, is the Devils, obviously, in goal. Martin Brodeur, Martin Brodeur, another, you could argue that he might be the greatest goalie of all time. There's a lot of... And then Dominic Hasek is sitting there like, hey, what the heck? Right, Dominic Hasek. And then a guy I want to talk about another one is Ken Dryden, who played for the Canadians. Mm-hmm. He was great. Um, but it, for me, I think I'm going to say Patrick Waugh. I think that's what I'm going to say. And that's... Uh bold for uh former canadian getting your getting your title there i told you i loved the avalanche so so the devils may have been the the devils may have been the defending champions that year because they had won 2000 but the avalanche were the better team on paper um the avalanche had won the president's trophy that year sackick would win the heart trophy as the league's best player at the end of the year I think in terms of storyline and matchup, you can make an argument that this might be the best cup final of the past 25-ish years. We are just throwing out the bold claims today. That's uh, it's the hot take Wednesday, everyone. Jeez, man. That's well, the hot ones with Christian, but it takes. <laughs> well, think about it. You got Patrick Waugh. You got Martin Brodeur. You got Ray Bork. You got Joe Sackick. You got just all these great players. You're not mentioning any of the skaters for New Jersey. So you got Scott Stevens. You got Patrick Eliash. Martin Lapointe. Was he there then? Uh, wasn't he with us? <laughs> he was with us eventually, but I thought he was at New Jersey before that. Scott Gomez. That was another one too. Oh yeah, there you go. There you go. But the best Cup final in the past 25 years is actually 2011. So there you go. Great <laughs> save, buddy. Great save. Kick save and a beauty. So, game one, the Avalanche would open the series. They'd win it 5 nothing. The Devils then came back and even the series in game two. Colorado took game three. But then the Devils took games four and five. So they had a, uh, a chance to close it out in New Jersey. Wow. So Colorado had to win two in a row, one of those on the road. And they had to travel 2,000 miles in between. So it's it's not an easy thing to do. Not only that, the like I said, the Devils were the defending Stanley Cup champions. Goals from Adam Foote. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Ville Niem. I'll check that later. <laughs> and, and then just re-record. <laughs> and re-record it. Uh, and then Chris Drury was on this Avalanche team as well. He mm-hmm. scored. Um, and he would give the Avalanche a 3-0 lead heading into the third period. And then in the third period... Alex Tangay scored the lone goal to seal a 4-0 victory for the Avalanche. And I want you to remember that name, Alex Tangay. Mm-hmm. Because he's remembered for this postseason alone. So the final and perhaps the most important game of Ray Bork's career would occur on June 9th, 2001 at the Pepsi Center in Colorado. The seventh game for the Stanley Cup. In the world of sport, can there possibly be anything better? Hello, everybody. I'm Bob Cole in the booth at 
the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado. Will there be, at last, a cup for number 77 tonight? For 22 seasons, he's been trying. He's got a shot at it now. The reason I told you not to forget Alex Tangay is because he had a monster Game 7. He would uh, open the scoring in the first period before scoring a second goal in the second period, and that would be his sixth goal of the playoffs. To center, that's a good play for second. Here he comes. Stop, rebound, score. Bring it down. Two nothing. Colorado. Joe Sackick then extended the lead to three on a power play. The Devils, though, they, sh- they showed some signs of life. Um, when Peter... Sikora? Sikora, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember him. You remember him? I recognize that name, yeah. He was one of their leading point uh, scorers that season. They had Patrick Eliash, who had 96 points. Alexander McGilney, uh, who had 83 points. And then Sikora had 81 points. Those were their top three scorers that year. All right. Yeah, Eliash actually just stopped playing a few years ago. He played forever. But, uh, yes, Cora scored in the power play to make it a 3-1 game. But uh, that wasn't enough. One of the greatest goaltenders in the world, an eventual Conn Smythe winner, was able to shut down the defending cup champions and then the Avalanche to win the Stanley Cup. After 22 years, Ray Bork would be a Stanley Cup champion. Avalanche fans on their feet. The city of Boston and most of New England on its feet. They have watched this series as though Ray Bork was still one of the Bruins. Ten seconds left to go. The countdown. Cleared up. Out of the zone. The Colorado match have won the Stanley Cup. Raymond Mark, a dream, has come true. Following the handing off of the Conn Smythe Trophy to Patrick Waugh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, standing next to the Cup, stated, there's one player waited a long time to hoist this and he called for captain joe sackick to come over and take it and sackick who was one of the classiest guys in the game took the cup and immediately handed it to ray bork and gary thorne had one of the greatest calls ever on this the stanley cup winning colorado avalanche and after 22 years In the final minutes of that game, Ray Bork was on the ice and he kept trying to come off because he was exhausted and his teammates wouldn't let him. And he said he uh, he felt like he was going to pass out because he couldn't breathe. I remember I actually remember this too. the broadcast saying Ray Bork was sucking for air because he was so exhausted. <laughs> yeah, they wanted him to be out there when it ended. Imagine if he just died, like if he just he couldn't breathe. <laughs> you gave Ray a heart attack. He's over 40, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, luckily he survived. And he was able to hoist the Stanley Cup. There's a cool shot of one of his sons out on the ice of them crying, too, which I uh, saw on YouTube. Was that Chris or another one? I think it was Chris. But I have to double check. So on June 13th, 2001, he oh, would bring... Sorry, I, can we can we go back to that moment? Yes. Because to this day, I like get emotional when watching it. Is this like... Like, I'm not crazy, right? Like, this is... 
no, that's I mean, something special. There, there's um, I read a few lists about best Stanley Cup moments in history, and this makes the top of the list in a lot of them. Like, he was a very respected player, and I don't know, and the fact that Sackick just immediately handed it to him, like that's so cool. It's just it was a great storyline. And can we real quick shout out to the fact that the trophy gets handed to the players first and not like some yeah. owner of the franchise BS like in some other sports? I, I'll say this. I'll defend it to death that hockey has the best championship ceremony of all of them. I also don't like how in baseball they pop champagne after every series, but that's a story for another day. Right. Whereas in hockey, they like don't even touch the, tr- the just ignore it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But... Right. I mean, there's teams in baseball that like winning the division, they would pop champagne. I don't know. Yeah. Red Sox won the wild card over the Yankees. Shout out. And uh, partied it up like they, yeah, it was a one game series, but they partied it up. And they were too hungover to, to win the next series, you see? Hey, buddy. Wait, you know they won the next series. Oh, yeah. They beat Tampa. Yeah, this, is a hockey podca- this is a hockey podcast. Get out of here. Anyway, on June 13th, 2001, uh, Ray Bork would bring the cup back to Boston, and he would celebrate with thousands of fans in City Hall Plaza. I And I knew this happened, but I didn't ever really see pictures from it. There was a fucking lot of people there. <laughs> Closest we're getting to the cup for a while. People people want to celebrate. Yeah. And, I mean, this is June of 2001. So, uh, Boston is a loser city in terms of sports. This is pre-Patriots championships. The Patriots hadn't won their first yet? Nope. Um, But it looks like a cup parade when you look at pictures. You should look it up later. And I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about this. I mean, maybe if I was there at the time... And, like, I hadn't seen all these championships that I've now seen. It would be cool. But, like, he didn't win it with the team I like. So, I don't I don't know. What do you think? Again, it's the same love for being okay with him trading to a contender. Again, yeah. Not only had we not won since 72, we hadn't even been to the Cup in, for 10 years. So, we were, like, feeling far away from it. Yeah. And, yeah, we... The last team to win... At that point, was the Celtics? Yeah, I in like eighty-eight so. or something. So like, it's a little a little starved. Yeah, I don't. The question is, if we never won in twenty eleven, and we mm. traded like Charo away, and he wins, do or Bergeron is a better example. If we traded, if we never won twenty eleven and traded Bergeron, and he won a cup. I mean, and no other team has won, on, won anything. Would you show up to a Bergeron like cup celebration? Yeah, probably. <laughs> exactly. Get out of my face. I actually once saw a um, f- an old front page of the Boston Globe from around this time, a couple of years before this probably, and it was uh, Welcome to Loserville. And it was the coach of the Bruins, Celtics, and Patriots. And it was Bill Belichick. And it had a little uh, word cloud coming out of his mouth that said, I should have stayed with the Jets. <laughs> You're like, how wrong that headline ended up being. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. It was just really funny. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's funny. It's it's one of those, like, don't try to predict sports, but, you know, look at the history of them like we do. But, yeah, you know, at that point, 
the last time the Celtics, I just looked it up, the last time they had one was 86. Bruins was 72. Red Sox were obviously 1918. Yeah. And the Patriots had never won. And they they were kind of a joke. And they went to the, or they lost in 96 in the Super Bowl and they got spanked in like 86. So yeah, like you're starved. You're starved for it at that point. And, and to your point, yeah, like I love Patrice Bergeron. If we had not won in 2011 and like in a couple of years, if we traded him and he won a cup, I'd be jacked up. I'd be very yeah, jacked up. That's true. Yeah, I'd probably show up. So uh, June 6, 2001, Ray Bork officially announced that he was retiring from the NHL. And they wasted no time in retiring the famous 77. They did it the next season in October. <clears throat> Colorado also retired his number, despite him only playing for a little bit over one season with them. And uh, to this day, Bork is still the best defenseman statistically in Bruins history. Whether we consider him the best all time is up for debate. <laughs> yes, it becomes the debate. A very good debate. I would love to to be a part, like, the fly in the wall for a good debate about that. Well, some people measure success in championships. Bobby Orr had two, but smaller league. So, yeah. But that's it. That's the story of Ray Bork and his cup journey in Colorado. You know, it's funny what weird things, like, trigger emotions in you. One of those weird things for me, the movie Rudy. Hmm. I don't know. Just it always gets me, and I don't know why. Despite it no not affi- being accurate, <laughs> right? And I have no affinity to Notre Dame. I don't like, but there's something I don't know. Mm-hmm. And like, there's been a couple of times over the past, you know, years of my life where I have gone and just watched that cup presentation and. You can't not feel something when you when you see that guy that's worked that long and 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 hard and was so loyal. But then you know, yeah, it, yeah. it's a it's a special moment. I get like, you know, I was really young for that, and it it definitely you know is brings up emotions in me when I watch it. But whenever I watch clips from 2011, because I it, like I remember where I was for most of those major highlights. That that makes me emotional like it's especially because in game seven against montreal when uh they won in overtime i remember driving from cvs where i was working and hearing it on the radio it's it's funny what moments stick with you like one of my most vivid bruins moments and, and this could be an interesting like episode of a podcast but like that 2013 run is, yeah. is played as actually like I remember 2013 better than 2011. And I was, I remember the Toronto game. Seven? You know the game. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where Jack Edwards yells like, take the knife out of the throat and stab the beast. Like, like I, I don't think he, know, he knew where he was when he said that. He, like he completely blacked out. I think he said he almost passed out for real. Oh my God. But I remember exactly where I was for that game. And it was really funny. My friend, like, Bruins are down and they score the first goal. And we're, we're out at a bar, like, we're playing darts. Me and a few other people. And he's like, no, 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 no. Classic Bruins. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make us think they can do this. Get it real close. 
and then like fall at the end. And then they score again. He's like, see, here it is. You know, they're making a mistake. And then I just like the the mob scene when it tied and and when and Bergeron won it. It was just like pandemonium, and it was it was real cool. I uh, I didn't see it. I turned the game off because I was so mad. Christian, I can't hate on that because I've done that before in my life, and it has made me promise myself to never do it again. Yeah. When uh, this is uh, not a soccer podcast, but uh, love love soccer, uh, and it's a 2010 World Cup, and the U.S. was about to be eliminated by not winning the game against Algeria in the group stage. And I got so upset that we were going to not do the like, group we should have got out of. We should have beat this team. We're not going to do it. Walked away from my computer I was watching it on. <sighs> Left the building. And all of a sudden get a notification. I have a voicemail. <laughs> and I answer, I answer. I pick it up and like listen to it. And it's just my buddy Joe going, Go! <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I go running back in, and everyone's like, oh my god! And like, they're showing the highlights of the last minute, ninety something minute game winning goal, and the mob, and like that. And I missed one of the most epic moments in U.S. soccer history because I was too upset to stick around and watch it. And from that moment on, I said I would never just give up on a game early like that and then walk away from it. And so, because of that, in part, stuck around for that 2013 one. Well, I wish you had told me that before 2013 <laughs> because I turned it off when it was four to one and it was, it was done. I was, it was in college and you know, I get a text from Helen, my girlfriend. Oh like, yeah. And, Priorities. and she's the one that was like, the game is still on the, the Bruins won. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> And I turn on the TV and it literally is just them celebrating and says Bruins win. And I had turned it off and it was four to one. And it was, the game was, it was almost over. Like it was late in the game. Remember it was like, like three minutes left or whatever. It was, what? I think we scored one with like 10 minutes left. And then with three minutes, I got to go back to the tape. I think the last, the tying goal that Bergeron scored might've been, under a minute or just about to be under a minute. Yeah, it was like 30 seconds left, yeah. Yeah, it was it was crazy. All right, well, uh, that was the Ray Bork trade episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Cue outro. Cue outro.